This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health, a new, fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization that's the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Wednesday, September 12th. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I'm joined via Skype by healthcare specialist Todd Campbell for my last show before I move on to my new role with Motley Fool Ventures. Todd, how are you? I'm doing great. Are you uh, ready to drop some investing truth bombs yes. in this swan song? Yes, I so am. So Todd and I were thinking that for this episode, we would do a bit of a look back on what I've learned over the last three and a half or so years of hosting this show. I'll be honest with you guys, I knew close to nothing when I started, and I'm sure the healthcare industry could keep teaching me things for the rest of my life, but I also feel like I've learned a lot, and I thought it would be valuable to share some of these lessons. Todd, really, I have you to thank. I have learned so much from you on how to approach stocks and industry trends, and I think today will be a really good kind of informal conversation anchored on some of the key lessons that we wanted to highlight. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it's it's my it's been my pleasure. And one of the things I think that our investors probably recognize from listening to the podcast, we try to keep it real, right? We you know we try to you know explain things in a way that are you know people can understand it relatively um, easily, and you know to share both our our failures and our successes. And you know because if you don't do that, right, you can't learn. And if you don't learn, then how are you going to get better, right? Exactly. And you're not going to be right all the time. But we think it's important that you learn from those times when you were wrong. And also, just as your process evolves, that you take note of these little tiny adjustments that you can do to make better investing decisions, better life decisions, all of the decisions. So let's get started on the surface level with show prep. So I don't know about you, Todd, but the way that I prepare for these shows has changed a ton. And it goes directly back to becoming more efficient in research stocks and healthcare news. So I've since I started doing the show, I've subscribed to daily emails from sources like Stat News and Endpoints, Axios Vitals, and I'll read these with an eye towards what would make for good show content and it's also just a good way to keep tabs on what's going on, what's making big news, and also what are some upcoming catalysts. I agree with you. And one of the things that's changed dramatically for me in the last three years, and some people may laugh at me, but trust me, there's actually some really good content available, is Twitter. I mean, I actually, yeah, I mean, I participate way more in Twitter than I did three years ago. And, you know, I use it as basically a uh, filter. So a funnel, if you will, for ideas. So I'll have, I follow a bunch of people that I respect within the healthcare industry. Um, And as a result, you know, as I go through Twitter once or twice a day, I'll usually see something that will will make me go, wow, I hadn't thought of that. Or, um, boy, that's something I should look at a little bit more. I totally agree. I am pretty social media wary. Um, I'm on most of the major platforms, but I don't really use them. But Twitter for me has this very specific use case that's entirely related to my job, where if a stock pops or drops, and I don't really know why, you know, I went to the ticker page and I read all the recent news, there's no press release, I go to Twitter. And I look for, I, I search for the ticker with the dollar sign as the the hashtag, if you will, and I'll check out what people are saying. And you know, honestly, sometimes 
I still can't figure it out at that point. So the next thing I'll do is check on trade volume. And if that's about normal, I've learned to just chalk that up to biotech being biotech because this is a wild industry. Yeah, I think that one of the things that newer investors, maybe we all fall into it to some degree, um, is to to take a look at some of these moves maybe in the aftermarket or the pre-market and then start freaking out and start Googling like crazy, trying to figure out what's going on with my stock, what's going on with my stock. And I think that it's always a great reminder, too, that you know if you can't find anything, if you've done your Twitter search, you've done your search on Google, and you can't find anything that justifies the move, don't worry too much about it. The pre-market and the, and the, the aftermarket, they're very illiquid markets. Very few people and very few shares trade on those markets. And usually the spread between the bid and the offer or the price um, you can buy for or sell at uh, is usually much wider than you'll see when the when the stocks act, stock market's actually open for trading. So don't stress too much when you see a crazy move. But that's been, you know, something we we've talked a lot about, right, Christine? We, you know, just having that kind of longer term view and trying to to keep yourself from getting too emotional. Oh, absolutely. And this industry in particular can really pull at your heartstrings. Foolish long-term investing preaches to take your emotions out of investing, but I feel like that's particularly hard in healthcare. These companies are saving lives, and they're vastly improving people's quality of life. And it's really hard not to get caught up in the story of hope when sometimes there isn't the evidence to support it. So another thing that I've learned is to be really wary of stocks that are working on emotional diseases like Alzheimer's, for example, which impacts so many families and has proven so, so difficult to treat. Companies that are focused on these well-known devastating diseases are doing amazing things, and I absolutely am cheering them on. But the stocks themselves can tend to get a little bit ahead of themselves due to the excitement that people feel at the prospect of a cure. And does that mean that I'll never invest in a company working on an Alzheimer's cure? No, but it does mean that you really need to look at the data with the glasses of a scientist to make sure that the efficacy and the safety are really there before buying. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's also helpful. And this is something that I, I try and continually do whenever you're reading a press release and the latest study or, or something that's come out from a particular company is to remember that, you know, the company and I don't think that they're doing it in a in a way that's nefarious, but they, you know they're going to talk their own book, so they're going to put their best foot forward in their press releases. And you know, there's a human element, like you talked about. You know, we all know people who've been impacted by some of these um, very, very just devastating diseases, and we want to see new cures come through that, that can help them. So you know, we're inclined to to favor those kind of of I guess innovations. But we also, you know, just have to kind of keep ourselves in check a little bit and just, you know, remind ourselves that yes, this this is cool science, but the the odds are pretty, you know, strongly tilted against uh, clinical clinical trial success. And you know, we've talked to the show in the past about just failure rates and how many drugs fail in trials. And I think it's important to recognize that when diseases like Alzheimer's the clinical trial failure rate is unfortunately like 99%. So as much as you want a, a company to succeed in in finding these drugs, it's very hard from an investing standpoint to look at them and say, yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to I'm going to chuck a a truck full uh, of money in it. 
And speaking of keeping your emotions out of things, I've also come to really appreciate journaling my investing theses. So if one of your investments starts to dip and nothing has happened to destroy that investing thesis, I've learned to view that as a great buying opportunity. And this is something that's a lot different than when I first got started investing. A lot of newer investors are disappointed when their stocks go down. But the foolish investor, the long-term one, says, hey, great, there's a sale going on. Yeah, when you look at the recommendations, for example, that are put out on um, the fool's premium side, you know, oftentimes, you know, you'll see new stocks, obviously, but you'll also see stocks that that have been talked about in the past, or where there's a small weighting in it, where more money is being added to those positions. And I don't think that you go out willy nilly and you know invest, you know, again, a, a huge proportion of your money in it, in any idea just because it's fallen, right? But if your thesis remains intact, if you've got a stock and an idea for re- owning the stock, and the stock trades down because of some kind of news that that really is either temporary or doesn't have a lot to do with, with the reasons you're in it, sure, put a little bit more money into it and average your cost down. I mean, we've seen this with mutual funds, right, Christine, over time? That if you dollar cost average into mutual funds over time, you end up coming out ahead. Well, the same can hold true for great stocks. Absolutely. Because the thing is, stocks don't go up in a straight line. David Gardner has a wonderful saying that I don't have in front of me, and so I'm definitely going to misquote, but it's something to the effect of, Stocks go down more quickly than they go up, but they go up far more than they go down. And of course, that's not every single stock, but that is, on the whole, how the stock market works is that it does go up over time, but not in a straight line. And any individual component of that, a single stock, is definitely not going to go up in a straight sign, a straight line. And so you can take those dips and look at them as really great buying opportunities. I also want to talk about the opposite side of that, though, which is not to count your chickens before they hatch. I think it's really easy to claim that a stock that you found is such a winner uh, and go on and on about it. And I have absolutely done that on this show. And then it dips back down again because that's just part of the cycle where you don't want to you don't want to overweight to the highs or the lows and just recognize that if you've picked a good company, it will generally go up and to the right. I think one of the this is a great point to be making right now because if anybody who's been following the marijuana story over the past you know two or three weeks we had a great show on it a few weeks back Christine you and I um, these stocks have gone to the moon right so I mean it's very tempting to pat yourself on the back and say yeah because I knew that you know medicinal marijuana was going to be a big thing you know there's and there's so many you know look look at these winners look at these winners right but the reality is that this is probably a long term story and there's going to be you know. Uh, plenty of downside to offset some of that upside. Keep it all in check, like you said. Absolutely. We have more lessons coming up shortly, but first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, they're changing the game. As a result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, they have created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together, eliminating traditional process obstacles and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com podcast. 
The next lesson that I want to highlight was a painful one to learn, and this is be prepared to lose all of your money on stocks that only have a single drug, or at least all of the money that you put into that stock. And so, this isn't to say to not bet on clinical stage companies that only have one drug in the pipeline, but if you do, it better be with money that you can afford to lose. Right. You can survive a 3% hit to your net worth, but you know, you can't serve it's you take you years to make back the damage if you go all in in a stock. And unfortunately, Christine, I learned that lesson the hard way. Oh, um, no. Yeah. I mean, back in the dot-com era, as a young as a young guy slinging stocks and feeling uh, overly confident in my ability to pick winners, I went all in with a relatively good-sized good portfolio in a stock that Sure enough, you know, just absolutely flopped, and I and I lost everything in that account. And you know, the the lesson learned, uh, the painful and costly tuition paid, um, was was never to make that mistake again. So while I still like to to you know embrace growth stocks, and I'll, I'll still include stocks that are working on you know crazy disruptive cool things, uh, I limit my exposure to them. And I, you know, you and I talked on the show. I don't know, probably a year, or two years ago, something like that, about you know how many stocks is the right amount of stocks to own in a portfolio, um, and you know I, I don't know if it's twenty or if it's thirty or if it's fifty, but it's certainly not one, and it's certainly not two. Yeah, absolutely. My own tuition payment was with a company called Optotech. I bought shares of them back in March 2015 with a pretty small position that I then added to. Not not a lot. I was fairly responsible with this. And it was on the hopes that a drug called Fovista would show success in treating wet AMD, which is a very common eye disease. It's the cause of 90% of legal blindness. Phase two trials had showed great efficacy, and Novartis, big pharma giant, signed on as a partner. But then in December 2016, phase three data comes out. There is no significant improvement when you use this drug, and the stock absolutely craters. And so I sold it pretty soon after, and I sold it for a loss of around 90%, which is painful, even though that was only a small percentage of my entire portfolio. But with that, I want to draw out another lesson. If you're going to fail, fail for a known reason. And this goes back to your investment thesis. I knew that if Fovista succeeded, the stock would go up a lot. And I knew that there was a chance that it failed and the stock would go down a lot. Because that's what happens in biotech. I was fairly new to the industry, but not completely green. And so, acknowledging why you might fail when you draw your investing thesis is pretty important for knowing when to sell. So, I ran the numbers earlier today to see what would have happened if I had held on to Optotech on the hopes that they would be able to turn their ship around. That money would have been tied up for at least two more years. And in the meantime, it's declined another 50%. It's a great lesson to learn. And I think that it really does speak to the idea of know why you're buying and investing in stocks. You know, don't just buy them because you saw somebody tweet about them or you heard from, you know, one of your friends, "Hey, there's this great stock and I just made 50% on it," right? Know the reason behind them. And and this is a great example too. I lost money on that stock as well. Um when the phase 3 trial failed, that was the end of the catalyst, right? The reason for owning it. So, okay, move on. Move on to the next idea because there are plenty of other companies out there working on great stuff. And, you know, the stock, the money that you invest in something else, you know, you have much better chance at um, at winning doing that than, you know, trying to double down on a broken a broken idea. 
Yeah, and you spoke a little bit earlier about diversification, uh, which sort of leads me to the next point, which is that you can spread your money out and take multiple bets, even within a specific space. So, if any of our listeners heard me speak at the last Fool Fest, you've heard this one: not all spaces are winner takes all. So my example for this is back when we were covering CAR T therapy as it progressed through the clinic way before it was ever approved by the FDA. I presented the investing decision on this show as, well, first, do you want to invest in this new technology? Which was a resounding yes. This is really cool, huge opportunity. You should consider strongly getting into the space. But then I framed the question as, well, which stock is your best bet for exposure to CAR T? And that second question is useful. But as an investor, you don't have to just choose one. When Gilead Sciences purchased CAR-T developer Kite Pharma after my own CAR-T investment Juno Therapeutics shut down its lead program, I was kicking myself so hard, thinking that I had chosen the wrong CAR-T stock. And Todd, you and I had even debated on this show where I remember you chose Kite, I chose Juno. But lo and behold, Juno still had a solid CAR-T program, and they wound up being acquired for a hefty premium by Celgene, and both of them wound up being great investments. Absolutely. And to your point, I own shares in both of those, right? So, you know, I think that spreading it out does make sense. And it, the temptation oftentimes is to hear the news that and read a press release, oh, this great new drug and look at the efficacy and look at the safety and think that all of a sudden the market's going to dry up for these other drugs that maybe are also in development or that are already on the market. And that's not necessarily the case. You can have more than one winner in a particular market. And one of the, I, I suppose, biggest examples of that that jumps to my mind is the anti-TNF market. Anti-TNFs are used in autoimmune diseases, and probably the best known one of those is Humira, which has $18 billion a year in sales. You'd think that with Humira having $18 billion in sales, there would be no room for any other anti-TNFs, but that's not true. Both Remicade and Enabril are also anti-TNF therapies used in autoimmune disease, and those were both mega blockbuster drugs, too. It's just a ginormous market, and so there is room for multiple players. Yeah, and even more recently, too, Christine, you have the Regeneron, um, Proluent, and Amgen uh, Repatha debate, which you and I talked about on the show uh, years ago, many times, many times. And the idea of that these drugs are going to compete against one another to disrupt um, how you know the market for cholesterol-lowering uh, medications and you know, the, granted, these drugs have not um, uh, become the billion-dollar blockbusters yet that that people had thought. But both of these drugs are selling at you know nine-figure paces. I think Repath's sales is in Q2. Uh, we're clocking at about a six hundred million share pace. And if you had sold Repatha or Amgen uh, because of Proloin, then you know you would have missed out on a massive rally in Amgen. I mean, I think Amgen's re uh, reaching towards 52-week highs and, and, and even further. So I, I think that, yes, you got to recognize that there are, um, you, can, you can invest in multiple players within the same areas. For sure. Our last lesson of the day is to not be afraid of quote-unquote expensive stocks. If you have found a great business that's solving a big problem in a large market and it has a clear growth runway ahead of it, you just can't get caught up in trying to apply traditional valuation metrics. And this is 
rather than an error of commission, which is what some of the earlier mistakes I talked about were, this is a lesson I learned through omission, rather not making a decision that I really wish I had made. Companies like Viva Systems, Intuitive Surgical, Illumina, Canopy Growth Corporation, these are all companies that we've talked about on this show as being great businesses but they're expensive. And so I never invested in any of them, but they have all absolutely crushed the market over the last year, three years, and five years since I learned about any of them. I think a lot of times we try to overthink things, right? We we come up with this great investing idea, this great thesis, uh, a a disruptive company that, that theoretically could have a moat around it. And then you know, we talk ourselves out of it because, you know, we don't want to be wrong. Oh, I don't want to be the last person to buy this stock right before it, you know, falls off the cliff and goes lower. And oftentimes that is a mistake. You outlined a few different ones. I mean, there's other companies out there too. Teladoc is another one that's, that, that jumps to mind as a disruptive company um, that, that's changing the way that patients see doctors. And, um, you know, if you had looked at Teladoc and said, you know, geez, it's an interesting story. Um, but you know it's a little pricey. You would have missed a doubling in its share price. You know, and that's not to say that you know income investors or retire or people with managing portfolios that are, are risk um, averse should you know not look at valuation. But if you're a growth investor and you're looking at disruptive companies, you know, like you said, using these kind of traditional metrics isn't necessarily the the way to 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 winning. And of course, you have to tie that together with the earlier lesson that we said about not being too emotional and caught up in the story and investing in stocks whose valuations have gotten way ahead of them. But ultimately, I think the real difference comes in is this a good business, a promising business that is disrupting a market? Does it have a competitive moat? Is it a big market ripe for a solution? Um, and this kind of brings me back to David Gardner again and his entire Rule Breakers philosophy, where if you can find these outstanding businesses that are just getting started, they might look astronomically expensive on a price-to-earnings ratio, or maybe they don't even have positive earnings yet, or price-to-sales, that might be really high. But you can't let yourself be tied to those metrics because you'll end up missing some awesome opportunities. Right. If sales are $100 million, but the market opportunity is $40 billion, you know, you don't want to base your valuation on the hundred million number. You want to, you know, be smart and look out further and say, okay, if that hundred million could go to a grow to a billion, <laughs> you know, and then what's the valuation look like? And that's why, you know, you can't trust necessarily long-term forecasts, right? Because a lot can and will happen, especially in biotech, right, with tri- clinical trial failures and everything. But you have to take a little bit of a longer-term view of these kind of things and say to yourself, okay, well, you know, my catalysis, my my the reason for owning the stock is still intact. And, you know, if I really do think that this could be a disruptive company, then why wouldn't I buy it regardless of the fact that it's got a P-E ratio that's a little high? Yep. If you can take that forward-looking, long-term picture and also layer in how much risk is associated with it, I think that's the secret sauce. Yeah, especially when you talk about the other lesson that you talk about with the diversification, mm-hmm. right? Because even if you're wrong, you know, like I said earlier, 3% isn't going to kill you. Exactly. That's that's tuition at that point. 
And so truly all this is just scratching the surface of the lessons that I've learned. I am so thankful to have had this experience. If you haven't heard already, Shannon Jones will be taking over the industry-focused healthcare show. Jason Moser will be the new financials host in her place. And the newest editorial team member, Nick Seipel, will be taking over the energy show. So lots of exciting changes to the lineup. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I am an investment analyst with Motley Fool Venture Fund Management, an affiliate of the Motley Fool LLC. The views expressed herein are my own and not necessarily those of Motley Fool Venture Fund Management. A huge thank you to our man behind the glass, Austin Morgan, for all of the work he does each and every day to make this show sound good. Another huge thank you to Todd Campbell for being my partner in podcasting for three and a half years and teaching me way more lessons than we could ever fit into one episode. And of course, I'm going to miss you, Christine. <laughs> of course, thank you to all the listeners out there, long time and brand new. I'm Christine Hargis, and for what is probably the last time for now, Fool On. These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. The Cineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval, branding and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast.